1: like this offseason has been going on forever and maybe it's because last year you know we had that the strike going on and different stuff and you know everything was kind of like jumbled into everything before the strike and everything after the strike but this year it, it just seems like the offseason is just dragging but there's been some really good articles uh by Rob Beer Temple over at the Athletic. Um, that I just kind of like started talking to him, uh, with uh, the help of a friend of the podcast and friend of myself, uh, Graves, Voice from the Graves, just an an awesome you know pirates uh, Twitter follow, and just kind of wanted to get your ideas, Rob, on like what you were thinking about when you were writing this, and, and maybe to take it just a little bit a step further, off of you know the pen format, uh, the writing format, to a little bit of discussion. So, Rob, sure. how you do today, brother?
0: I am hanging in there. I am. I'm staring at a. I at a, uh, started my preliminary packing for spring trading. I'm staring at a stack of clothes on my uh, on my suitcase here, and it's uh, a little bit of an involved process because you know there's give and take, and it, it, it always seems that at some point in spring trading, there's a day that just catches you off guard when it's like 40 degrees and with that wind at at the ballpark, formerly known as McKechnie Field, uh, it's really the press box. It drops the uh, the windshield. <laughs> it feels like it's thirty degrees sometimes. So I always gotta pack one heavy sweatshirt. But other than that, I'm I'm doing well. Just yeah, busy.
1: Yeah, that that weather down there, because especially at the at the beginning of spring training, can just go from. Like you said, just cold to like blistering hot. You you don't know what. So yeah, you do have to you do have to pack, pack a couple extra things, or you'll be running out to to get like a just a, a sweatshirt from I don't know Anna Maria Island or something. You know, or, or one of the local one of the local eateries down there or something uh, to to get you through the day. But I, I wanted to start with uh, I told you before we got on here and and previous to this that your your nine fearless predictions article really got to me, but and kind of drew me in because there was just a lot of like topics just in those you know just nine bullet points pretty much. and mm. I went back and, and you had done a mailbag and this is two things that that stuck out to me. and the first one was when we were talking about the Reynolds extension and I know that nobody wants to talk <laughs> about this, you know this anymore. but, you had a little piece in there where you said, I suspected for the past couple years, it was a matter of when, not if, Reynolds would be traded. And it wasn't because of the, cheap, the Pirates were cheap. You talked about, you know, Reynolds' career arc, you know, where he was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that's kind of where that goes into the Pirates offering the six years as opposed to Reynolds wanting the eight years. And it kind of seems like that's where the difference is at. So is that like the career arc um, that you're kind of talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think that that plays into it. I, I, you just look at, at where he is. I mean, he's you know he's closing in on thirty years old. I uh, got a couple of years left, obviously, before he hits there. But it, I guess it, you know, it, it, in, in Ben Sheraton's heart of hearts, when does he really think that the window is going to open for this team? And I know a lot of people wanted it to be you know this year uh, or even next, but I kind of suspected all along. You know, in in terms of pulling together all the pieces they need and, and basically what they're gonna have to do is build a rotation almost from scratch, you know. Um it would have been even worse if Mitch Keller hadn't come on last year. I've kind of thought all along 2025 is that year you're gonna target for for when things might turn and when you might start to have an opportunity. Now, you know, there's there's variables to play into it. I I remember, you know, back in the late eighties, we all thought nineteen eighty eight was gonna be the year or even nine eighty nine when the Pirates would get back there because they had Bonilla and Bonds and Dan Slyke and they were making these moves. And it it just takes a while for things to come together, for intangibles to line up, and for guys' career arcs in terms of how old they are, how experienced they are, how comfortable they feel in their role, how settled they are in their position, uh, where they are in their evolution as as a pitcher or, or a hitter or, in some cases, even a fielder all those things have to line up. That's why, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy if when you think about, you know, being a GM and trying to, you know, get all these kittens to march in a single line, it's difficult to do. So I, I've, I've always kind of thought 25 is a more realistic year to kind of circle as this is when things, you know, when you could expect contention to start to happen, you know, playoff contention. And with that, by then, Reynolds is going to be, you know, he'll, he'll zoom past 30. He'll be zoomed past his ARB years into his free agency years. And, you know, for a guy like him, that's going to be his one shot to make some money. And is he going to want to roll the dice a little bit and stick it out with the Pirates and try to make his money here? Or is he going to, you know, say, uh, I think, you know, get the free agency and and try to, Make my money that way, and if things aren't lined up yet with the Pirates, that's probably the time to do it because you know things can happen. So, yeah, you know, when I when I mentioned his career art there's there's a lot of stuff that really goes into that. Not just in terms of you know his age, but where he is, where the team is, where his teammates are. How does this all line up? And then you got to throw in things like you know the front office and, and, and management, the coaching staff, where are they all at? Um, it's it's difficult to get those things to line up. And it just kind of seems that Reynolds' peak, you know, it, it, these should be his peak years. You know, his age, 27, 28 years should be his peak. And it's not going to be the peak for the Pirates. So, does it make sense to try to force the issue? I've I, I kind of felt all along that it, it probably doesn't. That the pirates would take what they could get, and more importantly, that the, the brand would take what he could get.
1: It's definitely just—it's a, a tough situation, and I know a lot of times when people are thinking about like this current uh, version of the rebuild or build or you know whatever. anybody you could call it whatever you want. You can call it a pancake. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's what's happening, and just comparing it to the last version. You know, and, you know, they had, you know, signed McCutcheon. Then they're, you know, extended extended McCutcheon. They, you know, extended right. Polanco, extended Tabata. Uh, just all those other different types of things. And I had asked the question, and, and it got a little bit of blowback on Twitter, but I was just like, is Reynolds the McCutcheon or is Reynolds the Jason Bay? And it had nothing to do with them as players and their talent level or whatever, but it was like more of, right. you know, would he be... More of the bay of the, you know, good to very good player on a bad team, or would he mm-hmm. be the guy that would be there when you know the team was actually starting to turn it around?
0: Yeah, and no, I think that's a good observation. It, it, it's you know, with, and, and you got to think too, in line with you know, just going back to the career arc thing. How does how do the pirates line up with the other teams in their division while all this is going on? You know, and. and is the NL Central still going to be down in a, in a year or two? It certainly seems like the Cubs are going to start spending some money. Uh, you know, the Cardinals, it seems like they're just zombies. They never, you can never kill them. They just keep getting up <laughs> off the floor and, and coming after you. Um, the Brewers and the Reds, who sometimes I don't know what the hell the Reds are doing. But um, there's just so many variables there that, yeah, you, it, it, it it's no sin to be a really good player. On a team that just—it's not there yet, and and the circumstances just aren't right. um You know, Pirates history, baseball history, is is littered with those kinds of guys—the guys who just, you know, damn, they were good, but they would have been, you know, gotten so much more attention if only the team hadn't sucked. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of the way it goes. <laughs>
1: If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me, and not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head, the hat I always wear. The Yins brand, proud partners with bucks in the basement, three dynasties, one brand, Yinz. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop ShopYinz for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online. At WW Shop Yin's, the emphasis on the two Z's high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold made for Yin's by a Yinzer. Going on to those uh, the nine fearless uh, predictions that you had wrote um, Mm -hmm. and kind of talking about like uh, you're talking, we'll stick with like the career arcs, but this would almost be like the coaching career arc of Derek Shelton, and, and the one thing that, that you <laughs> predicted was um, an extension uh, for Derek mm-hmm. Shelton. And, and this is kind of almost like a two-part question is, you know, is would there be, like, that extension just to give, you know, Shelton a chance with a team that's more put together? And then also, like, what would this mean for, you know, an Andy Haynes and, and an Oscar Marine as far as, you know, Derek Shelton is, as of right now, as far as we know, is a lame duck
0: manager. Mm, right. I think it would be. You know, when, when they hired him, you know, they, no one could have predicted that we were going to just you know stare down a global pandemic right after that. Everybody knew the team was not in great shape, but no one knew that you know the world yeah. <laughs> was going to was going to be shaken. Um, and it's it's been, you know, it's been difficult. You know it's been difficult for for Shelton, his first couple of years especially. These last couple of years, um, you know, last year in particular, I I was a little surprised that they lost 100 games. But, again, he can only do so much with the roster that's given him. And it it seemed pretty clear that management was still in that, um, I guess, kind of a shakedown mode, you know, seeing what guys, you know, have any kind of future with the club, whether it's in a reserve role or starting role, they ruled through a lot of bad players last year, and some of that was probably to keep the service clocks from stopping, you know, from not starting yet with the guys like Cruz and whatnot, and some of it was just to figure out what they had. You know, was Hoy Park going to be worth anything? They traded for him. Is it going to be worth anything? Michael Chavis? Can they get anything out of him? And. By the end of the season, they had their answers on a lot of different fronts. This year, it's a different kind of shakedown. I think it's something that Sheltie mentioned when we talked to him on Friday, is that the groups of players, of candidates, I guess you could say, at the different positions, they're smaller, more talented, but they're, they're fewer in number. You know, There's fewer guys that they, they're, they're looking at, evaluating for roles right now because they have a better idea of where they're at. I think that's going to help. I mean, you're not gonna necessarily roll, you know, Josh Van Meter out there in, in at nine different spots on the field, you know, every day for three months and wonder why the hell things aren't going well. There'll be a different change of you know, different kind of approach. The players that they put out there will be more suited to their roles. There'll be less let's see what happens and more let's see where we can take this, if that makes sense. Oh, so that- I think just in that regard, that's gonna help Shelty. That's probably a big consideration why management would say you know let's give him some more time and see what he can do
1: yeah and i mean i i hate to jump back and forth on on articles but it it kind of the one that you put out today about the the opening day roster um with Mm -hmm. shelton uh you wrote he averaged 153 lineups per 162 (laughs) games over his first three seasons uh you know according to the analyst, Bill James, uh, 69% were the, you know, the lefty righty platoon edge. And mm-hmm. that it, I think it's, what was it in, in Bill James handbook? It's that you could get maybe about 17 extra runs by moving yeah. around yeah. these lineups as much. So that's where it's just like, is, is Shelton gonna continue? Um, cause we're hearing a lot about, you know, the platoons and stuff with, you know, Swinsky's numbers and bringing in Connor Joe and just, you know, McCutcheon at DH and then Santana and Choi at first, but, you know, all these different like platoon things. Is is he still going to have those those lineups? And it, I always think that there's something to a player knowing where they're going to hit day to day.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I think – Short answer to your question is yeah, we're still going to see those platoons this year. Um, in some cases, a lot of cases are going to be necessary. I go back to my days as a college football writer. Um, I, covered, you know, I covered teams that had quarter, quarterback platoons, and you know what you heard then was true then, and it is still true now. If you have two quarterbacks, it really means you have zero quarterbacks. Um, you know, a lot of times a team like the Pirates, it's the roster is short on. Bonafide talent on standout talent, you're going to have making, you know, you're going to make do trying and mixing and matching and putting guys in different situations and doing this and doing that. And you're trying to scrimp by. So, you know, the Pirates are probably counter by like, hey, those 17 runs, those are important. That might be, we might win, you know, half of those games. And that could be the difference between, you know, 70 losses, which which, which looks, yeah, okay, and, and, and 62 wins that looks miserable because it's 100 losses, so I, I get the point and I think still we're going to see a lot of that this year because you're still, you know, I, I'm still not sure that some of the guys they have are quite everyday regulars and a lot of players will tell you exactly what you said. There, there's a lot to be said for them. They want to come in and they don't want to, they don't want to have to look at the line of card in again. They want to know that I'm here today and I'm going to be batting third and playing left field, you know, but that's not how it is with the pirates, and maybe that's one of the reasons sometimes guys go to different teams and, and flourish more because the, the the talent level around them is different, and and the expectations, and just the system is different.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and definitely does. I mean, it it just makes it because I I know there's been like those all those conversations about how you know Shelton and and Donnie Kelly sit down and and make up the lineups for you know couple weeks at a time like in advance Mm -hmm. so it's just it's a very weird thing that I when I saw they had that much of a platoon split it kind of just struck me as as odd because it's like well he's not even making the adjustments it's like they know who's going to be pitching and they just (laughs) kind of figure it out but the the one thing that that you wrote in that that same article today um, that kind of had me going with like the roster projections a little bit is when there was the discussion about Rodolfo Castro and, you know, Shelton Mm -hmm. answered and said, we do not have a, hey, this guy is going to be a starter at second base. And to me, it was like kind of weird because it's like, well, if he isn't the starter, his main competition right now is probably G1 Bay and and Pita Marcano, which was so weird Mm -hmm. to me as to why, you know, Not that I was the biggest, you know, everybody thinks I'm the biggest Kevin Newman fan because I talk about Kevin Newman a lot. I just liked Kevin Newman as the ball player and and the way he worked and his ethic and, you know, just being able to get better defensively. And I knew he wasn't going to ever be like this giant powerhouse of a hitter, but I just kind of liked him. And it was just like, kind of like, well, why don't we like now it's, it's kind of, it has to almost be Castro's job, right?
0: You know, I You know, I, I admit I was one of those people that was going on the assumption that, yeah, Castro is going to be your opening day second base. I still think he will be the opening day second base. But you can see stuff that he has to work on. I mean, you know, there's still swing and miss. That's the problem, it seems, with a lot of guys, um, you know, that they, that they have on this roster right now that they've really got to kind of rein in. I mean, there's going to be a lot of strikeouts. That's the way the game is now. But some of these guys, you know, Swinsky and Cruz in particular, those numbers are alarmingly high. Um. I kind of, you know, you you like what Rodolfo can do. He has a little pop. uh, He, he, you know, he he makes a lot of plays out there defensively. Bayshuan will do the same thing. Marcano as well. Marcano just hasn't been able to get traction in the majors. And that's kind of like what I look at him now. I think the hang up with him is he just. He just can't hang on to an everyday gig or even like an everyday couple of gigs where where he's out there in the lineup every day, one position or another. Um, With Bay, it's just a question of experience, I think, that he needs to get some time in the majors and and really show what he could do here. I mean, he's hit well, for the most part, in the minors. Um, He's only played, I want to say it's 42 or 44 games in center field in his career. And 10 of them were in the Arizona Fall League last year. So, I mean, not at, you know, that's why I, I, there's, there's there are some people that along with thinking Rodolfo is your, your starting second baseman, they just plug you know, base she one into center field. And I, boy, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's an important gig on any team and every center field is going to be big, but PNC Park, I mean, you know, you've seen it. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And a guy that really has very limited experience as a center fielder. I don't know if you want him quarterbacking your offense.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a <laughs> tough all
0: necessarily, you know, um, to mix my metaphors. But, um, I mean, but again, you know, they're certainly convinced he's athletic enough to handle the job. And he they believe he could become savvy enough in a short amount of time to become good in center field. Um, it's just a matter of how they're going to approach it now. I think some of it is the Reynolds situation. You know, when do they trade him? Do they trade him? Where does he play if he stays? Um, I, think, I thought it was really interesting last year when they plugged him in the left field for a few days. I think defensively, he's better in left than he is at center. So that's one. That's one part of the equation. Another part of it too is just you know who, who else do they have? Where else do they think they're going from here? I, you know, I, I kind of think Sawinski could probably handle center field. I really like what I saw from him defensively last year. I thought his his routes were pretty decent. I thought he, he seemed kind of heads up out there. Once he got past the initial, when he first got caught up, my gosh, you could just see him sometimes, and he seemed a little overwhelmed by everything. Um, just a classic, you know, rookie situation. When he got recalled then later in the year, I thought he just seemed so much cooler, so much more level-headed, um, confident out there. And, you know, I could I could see him handling some time in center field. So, but, you know, maybe it's a case where with Rodolfo, they don't want to anoint him the second baseman right now and have him come in with that kind of attitude because we saw last year, and I mentioned this to here on Friday, I mean, yes, the cell phone incident got a lot of play and it was embarrassing and it was stupid and it was a rookie mistake. But there was also a game earlier in the season that I mentioned to Shelty, and, and he didn't. He kind of he kind of grinned because I think he knew where I was going with him. I'm, I think they were playing. I think it was San Diego. I it was a road game, and I'm pretty sure it was Jerks and Profar who was on the other team. But anyway, Rodolfo, there was a play like he thought he had beaten out an infield single, and he goes across the bag and he's putting his arms out like safe, safe. And you look at the replay; he was out. He was called
1: out.
0: <laughs> You know, and you know he couldn't believe it. He was ah. Then he goes back to the dugout, you know, and then later in the game, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Perfar hit, uh, uh with I think what turned out to be the game-winning home run, and as he came towards home plate, he looked right to the Pirates' dugout and put his arms out like safe, and I thought, like, ooh, you yeah. don't want that happening, you know, you don't want veterans, and I'm sure somebody in the dugout then kind of nudged Rodolfo and said, hey, you see. Don't do that crap, (laughs) because it'll come back and bite you. That kind of stuff, I mean, he's, how old is Rodolfo? Off the top of my head, I agree, 23? 23, I believe, yes. Okay. So, you know, still a kid. Uh, So that's an area where he's got to, you know, polish up his game a little bit. Just, uh, you know, and that's one of the things I think the Pirates addressed by bringing in the veterans they did this year is just to give the guys a sense of this is how you carry yourself on the field, in the clubhouse, in workouts. <clears throat> it's a certain way to do it. And maybe they don't want Rodolfo to, to, to come in anointed as the starting second baseman and lose some of the progress he's made in terms of gaining maturity. Yeah, that was a long answer to a short question. No, it's, it's a good, it's a good um,
1: answer. And, and it just with the – You know, addition of Santana there over at first base, Uh, Chris and I brought up like uh, last week, uh, something that's been out there, but you know, Mendy Lopez uh, being called Mm -hmm. up to do, you know, some of the infield coordinator duties, definitely going to be, you know, helping with Cruz and with Castro. But when I thought about like the Castro situation, the other thing and I was like, oh, why didn't they keep Kevin Newman? So I like, my mind was on these platoons pretty much like all day today. And so I'm like, I wonder what, you know, what Castro's splits actually are. And in the minors, when he was batting right-handed, his OPS was about 250 points higher than it was as a left-handed hitter. And once Uh he got up to the majors, and I know it's only been like a, you know, a little bit of a cup of coffee, you know, last uh, two years ago, and then up and down last year. But it was creeping towards almost a, a three hundred point difference, so it's like, well, uh, maybe yeah. we didn't need Newman in there because Castro's actually hit, you know, right handed pretty well, and so uh-huh. it would be like you almost need like you like a bay a mark Marcon- somebody else like that who could fill in on some of the days because you you don't want him it to be a straight platoon, um, but if he's starting to struggle against them to get a get a left handed bat in there, and that's just something that kind of kind of struck me today
0: that's a good point yeah and it's you know then for a club like the pirates i'm sure that's you know well, for most clubs now maybe all clubs that kind of stuff doesn't go unnoticed and you know if, if you're a guy whose ops is you know 1.1.4 <laughs> then it, the 300 point split it's <laughs> not a big deal but yeah when you're when you're still an up-and-comer uh 250, 300 points is a huge difference, and, yeah, it's worth considering.
1: Yeah, and going back to the the first article we were talking about, the mailbag one, um, mm-hmm. you had, you know, kind of like said, oh, maybe, you know, Jared Triolo for opening day, and, you know, as your thought process goes along, you kind of walk that back a little bit in in today's article and put more of, like, the the Bay and Marcano thing in there. Um, is mm-hmm. it? With with Triolo, I mean, most of it is probably. I mean, a lot of people have seen these jumps, at, you know, with a a Sawinski, with no AAA experience. Uh, Diego Castillo with with limited AAA experience and and getting that bump up is is that was that kind of your thinking during that mailbag one, which was like, yeah, he's his defense will definitely play, and his bat's actually not too bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think last year he uh, he's one of only maybe nine players in Altoona Curve history to hit multiple leadoff home runs. Um, he's, a, he's a guy that, I mean, he has a little bit more pop in the, in his bat than even I expected when I first started watching him. And, and I remember the thing that kind of stuck with me is it was toward the end of the season. I think it was uh, late August, early September, thereabouts, uh, a few days after I was had worn the Altoona Curve mascot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was and, awesome.
0: And I was, I was sitting in the, in the dugout up there talking to Nick Gonzalez and about coming back you know him coming back from his injury and you know he was he really started to turn it on a little bit in those i guess 40 you no know, maybe 30 odd games after he came back from that foot injury and we were talking about how difficult it was you know I said what well, you know difficult for the team to absorb too i mean you're you know starting second baseman you're the double play combo with peggy and then you go down for two months and he said and he just said yeah you know as sick as i felt when that went down uh when i got hurt I felt maybe even worse when Triolo had got hurt. Yeah, this was like real real close to the end of the season, like about maybe a week or two. Um, Triolo hyperextended his knee in a weird play, stepping on home plate um, as he was scoring a run and didn't play again the rest of the year. And he said, that really just gutted us and gutted everybody because, and he says, that hurt almost as bad as whenever I got hurt for me because he's kind of the, the heartbeat of this team. And... I thought that's you know that's kind of a thing that's underrated. Everybody I talked to that day—I've been point of talking to a couple of three other people about about Jared—they all said that same kind of thing. And he just seems to have that it factor that you need to have in a clubhouse. He's a he's a galvanizing kind of guy—a guy that players will rally around and rally for. Um, you know, even you don't always find that in players. Even big stars don't necessarily have that. But but Triolo really does. I mean, they made T-shirts for him. Uh, you know that, that, that the players wore. You know, um, Tree Hugger, I think, was what the slogan <laughs> yeah. was on it or whatever. And it just he just seems to be a guy that that brings that big intangible. And he can play. Pretty, I mean, he's got a hell of a glove, and he's got a little bit of pop. And now they have him play in different positions. He was over second base last year. Uh, obviously, third base um, is, his, is his bread and butter. I think he might have had a couple of games in the outfield because everybody does. I think they're going to make you know me and and, and Mackey and Kevin Gorm get out in the outfield too before this <laughs> year's over. So he just seemed to be a good piece. He can do a lot of little things, and he can do some very big things. Um, I think sooner or later, you know, when they put him on the forty man this year, I wasn't too surprised. Um, I think sooner or later this year, we're going to see him in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that that's where I saw him maybe as more of like a long-term answer if somebody went down or somebody got injured or somebody got trained or whatever it would be. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, the other guys, like a, like maybe a Marcano or something, might be the the quicker, you know, couple-day fill-in guy. I wanted to get to two more things from, from the fearless predictions here. So not to like completely cut off because that's all great stuff with, with Triolo. And I, I, I could listen to talk about, you know, these players and the minors and stuff like everybody knows that like, you know, all day long, but one of your predictions, it's it, I'm going to do a little bit of a twist on this. Cause you said that nutting will break his silence. What I see from fans more now is they want Travis Williams to break his silence So I'm just wondering, like, what your thoughts are on, like, you know, how the the front office, how they address you, the media, and and address the fans.
0: (laughs) Um, How? Well, (laughs) they they don't. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, Boy, how to put this? You know, I mean, Bob wasn't always, I mean, he would do usually every year in spring training he would do his, you know, State of the Union address with the players and then come talk to us after it. And and he knew what he was going to get. You know, there'd be questions like, you know, why didn't you go after this or that free agent? Why is payroll where it is? You know, this and that and the other thing. And yes, they tended to be the same questions, but in part that was because the Pirates always seemed to have the same issues year after year. And I, I think we're at the point now where Bob hasn't met with, you know, a group setting in the, with, the, with the media since, uh, I guess since Travis and, and Ben were hired in the fall of 2019, not, you know, due to a lack of effort on my part or Jason's part or, or Kevin or anybody else's part. Uh, we've all asked for him. We've all approached him at different times. The last time we we approached him as a group, uh, it was during the Hall of Fame induction for the Pirates Hall of Fame induction last summer. It was the day after the Pirates clinched the losing season, and Bob, uh, we asked Bob a couple questions about the, the Hall of Fame thing, and I said, "Well, hey, it's you know kind of coincidental timing, or kind of not coincidental, kind of awful timing here that we're celebrating Pirates history on a, on a day when you, know, you, you lock up another another losing season." Do you have any comment on where the, you know, the team has gone these past couple of years? And uh, he gave his response that this was not the time to talk about the ball club and walked away. And I thought, you know, that's. It's tough. It's it's a tough situation. I mean, he owes it to the fans to say something, anything. And there are legitimate questions out there. You know, whenever the O'Neill Cruz situation was going on, when when, uh, the whole legal situation in, in the Dominican a couple of years back, Bob Nutting said nothing, um, neither positive nor nor negative nor or anything. No, no, statement at all from the owner of the franchise, um, the guy who signs the paychecks, who sets the tone for the team, who who decides what he wants the team's image and tone to be. You mentioned Travis. It's the same kind of thing. He was hired as president. Frank Cooney was a baseball guy. He was a uh, he was the, the MLB's top you know, legal advisor, and he had a, a lot of numerous, uh, a lot of a lot of contentious run-ins during arbitration hearings and and union negotiations. He knew the game. He knew the, the nuts and bolts of the economics of the game, but he also knew something about you know the playing and, and strategy. With Travis, I get the sense more that he was brought in to be the guy who kind of change sells the team. How do you spin the team? How do you sell it? To, to fans who are frustrated because they haven't seen, you know, a, a playoff series victory since 1979. And you would think in that kind of role that you would want to be fan-facing and, 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 and you know, seen as open and, and transparent and conversant. And he's not been. He gives the same kind of answer. Now is not the time to talk about X, Y, or Z. Um, You know, it's... Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think that if I was a fan, I would, I would be, you know, I would feel kind of unloved. Yeah. <laughs> if, I'm, if I was an average fan, I would feel kind of unloved. I mean, the, the Pirates. I, about a month ago, I uh, asked to speak to Travis about Fan Fest. Why? Why did it? And mean, obviously we know why it went away because of the pandemic. But when is it coming back? Are there going to be changes? It had gotten a little bit stale. So you're going to do some new things. You're going to try something different. What are you going to do? We're about the caravan? Um, and it, I was told there's no fan fest, but we're thinking about bringing it back. And there's no caravan, but we might have other things instead. I said, lot more specifics." Well, you know that would be Travis's job. Well, great. Let me talk to Travis. Well, that's been that's been what I think six weeks now. Yeah. And we're still waiting for for Travis to address that. And then now, yeah, you know, over the weekend, the Pirates had what they did not advertise, but now during the day of that, they described it as a winter warm-up only for season ticket holders. There was, uh, what, about 1,500 people there, I think, is what they said. So the message they seem to be sending is, if you're a season ticket holder, if you're a corporate sponsor, you know, we'll be here for you. But if you're Joe Bag of Donuts, who wants to go to, you know, three or four games a year or, or whatever, Stuff, come to your three or four games a year. Yeah. <laughs> and that'll be about it. And we're okay with that. So, I don't know. I, for me, it doesn't make much difference if, if he talks to me or not. I'm going to write what I write either way. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be, you know, try to dig for as much information as I can. I just think it's kind of a slap at the everyday fans. Because I remember a much different experience when I grew up in Pittsburgh. As a Pirates fan in the 1970s and 1980s, um, the first time I ever interviewed a professional ballplayer, I was in college when the Pirates caravan came to State College on a snowy Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> and and I talked to R.J. Reynolds and Lanny Frateri and I forget who else um, at the, the the Days in. or I think back then it was a Sheridan. It's not even open anymore in State College, but. You know, they, those guys got in a van, and they drove two hours. At that point, it was more like three because the roads were different. Just to go to State College and talk to people. Now, it doesn't happen. I don't know. It's just it feels more corporate. It feels more sterile and structured, and it feels a lot less fun.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, here's the thing for me is, I mean, people, when I went to, you know, a few Pirates games last year know know that i have this podcast or whatever and they said well you know what do you think about travis williams you know not speaking and i kind of equated it to you know there's there's different ways that people show love or show effort in relationships and and travis seems to be kind of more of a doer not with like the whole pirates fest thing but it's like okay everybody says the scoreboard's crappy well he has to go and talk to the sports authority you know to get You know, permit you know to get Mm -hmm. that money and to get that done. You know, heard fans saying you know, could you do this with you know more stuff for kids? Could there be more like you know bar atmosphere? Could there be more you know that type of stuff? And 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 that stuff was done. You know, I know that I know that it was Jimmy T that was probably pushing more of for the the Hall of Fame, but that's also stuff that you know. Travis has to organize all the charities type stuff. You know, there's a lot of different things, but I do agree. I I would at least just like to hear him talk. But I think on the other side with fans, sometimes it's because maybe Ben Charrington isn't telling them exactly what they want to hear. So it's like, well, can we get another voice in the, in the room? Do you know what I mean? So that's kind of where my mind goes with it. I'm not as upset, but yes, I would like to hear from him. But if I don't, as long as Ben's talking and and he's not being quiet because the structure is a little bit different than it was when it was Coonley and Huntington. You know, like you said, Mm -hmm. Travis is, is not a, he's not a baseball guy. Not saying he doesn't like baseball, but it's just, he's more of a, an organizer, more of a doer. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, but I definitely do appreciate your efforts to do that, Robin. And we're, we're going way over here on time on our, Are 30 minutes of bucks here. But once I start talking baseball and having like these good conversations, (laughs) they just don't really Mm -hmm. stop. So for anybody that doesn't, you know, please go follow Rob uh, on, on Twitter at Rob beer temple, Uh, go subscribe to the athletic, read, read the articles. I think I got back in on a, uh, they always have like deals out there or something. And I think for the first year, it's like a dollar a month or something. I don't know which deals are out there now, but you know, it's definitely worth the subscription, not only for, you know, Rob's articles, but also, you know, all of the different stuff around, you know, Major League Baseball, if you're a big baseball fan, it's mm-hmm. it's a must-subscribe. So, so Rob, you know what? I do appreciate you uh, letting me ask you some tough questions here, some fun questions, and, and would love to have you back on again sometime. It, it, it. Yeah, that'd be great,
0: man. Anytime. Just, uh, give me a shot. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say. One thing within the next day